So, the big question is this. How can kingdom-minded, for-purpose entrepreneurs like us, those who are committed to building big things with their life through their business, do it in a way that they don't lose their body, they don't lose their balance, those closest relationships that mean the most to them, and their being, their connection and daily walk with Christ? How can we build, expand, and create in such a way that we hear, well done, good and faithful servant? That is the question, and this podcast is centered around those who are on this journey at a high level and their tips, systems, routines, and mindsets that have enabled them to pull this off. My name is Forrest Walden, and welcome to Tribecast. Welcome to another episode of Tribecast. Excited this morning to be joined by Richard Simmons III, who is an author, a speaker, a podcaster, and the founder of the Center for Executive Leadership, which is an organization that I personally have uh, reaped much uh, benefit from, which I'm sure we'll get into a little later in the show. But Richard, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thank you, Forrest. It's, uh, It's an honor to be here. Well, tell the listeners a little bit about your background, how you got to where you are, and basically what you do now. Okay. Well, I'm probably older than you think. I'll turn 67 in December. Um, But uh, I grew up uh, in Mountain Brook, Alabama. I went to Mountain Brook High School. I went to college up in Tennessee, a place called the University of the South at Swanee, where I was a... uh, an economics major. Um, the most significant thing that happened in my life up there was I became a Christian uh, in my sophomore year, and it uh, radically changed my life. Uh, now, did you my, grow up in a Christian home, or was well, that your first exposure? I, I, I grew up in a home. That's that's a good question. Uh, when I was 11 years old, my mother died. Uh, it was me and my sister and a, a younger brother. And then about two years later, my dad remarried uh, a woman who had three children. And so there was a total of eight of us. And we were really, I, I guess the best way to describe us, we were a church going family. Um, we really didn't talk about spiritual things much. So, I, you know, I'm not sure if you'd say it's a Christian. I, I would say my parents would say it's a Christian home and I probably would say it is too, but um, it, it, we didn't spend time talking about spiritual issues. Uh, Got it. And the fact that there was eight of us and there was just something, my parents, they, they worked their rear ends off uh, just, you know, raising us because mm-hmm. uh, when they got married, I was, I was about, I guess I was about to turn, th- I was going on 13 and I had three year old, five, two, three year olds, five year old, seven year old, 10 year old and a 13 year old. And I was the oldest. Um, but then college was, uh, it was a great experience for me. Um, I realized that I wanted to, I felt called to go into the business world. Um, and so my father persuaded me to try out the property and casualty uh, insurance brokerage business. And I loved it. I went to graduate school over in Atlanta. Uh, they, Georgia State has a, um, they have a uh, curriculum where you can get a master's degree and uh, insurance and risk management. And then I started a really great career um, and really loved it. Um, I was in production and sales and uh, uh, it went well for me. And uh, I guess 15 years into my business career, uh, they, uh, uh, they elevated me to president of the company. And 
Um, then I became regional director of the company and everything was really great. And I, and, and one of the reasons I was able to do what I, what I did was, uh, I was not married. Um, I didn't get married till I was 41 years old. Oh, wow. And so I had, I could do ministry work. I did a lot of teaching. I, I, I found it. And just, I guess you could say I discovered that I, I felt like I had the gift of teaching and communicating God's truth. And so I did a lot of uh, teaching. I had a couple of men's Bible studies. Uh, I did a lot of public speaking, and then I did my work. And I was able to do that because I didn't have a family. And then um, God brought the most wonderful woman into my life uh, when I was, I just turned 40. And um, she was 27. Or she was 26. We're 14 years apart. And we got married a year and a half later. And um uh, Again, one of the best things that ever happened to me. And because of my age, we decided to start a family as soon as possible. So 18 months into our marriage, we had our first child, and then we had two more pretty quickly. And this is when God really kind of made a change, began to, to, I think, move in my life and push me towards making a change. Because um, as much as I like my job, I, I love doing ministry work, but I love my family. I love my wife. I love my young children. And it was creating a problem in that I, because I did travel a lot being in the position that I was in. And I, uh, I found that it was putting pressure on my marriage, uh, a lot of pressure mm-hmm. on my wife to raise three kids. And I was gone most of the week. And uh, so I really began to consider making a change. Um, I really had felt God had given me a vision to start a men's ministry. And um, just through a, a series of circumstances, uh, a lot of prayer, <clears throat> getting the okay from my wife to give up a really very good, very well-paying job to start a nonprofit men's ministry. And so about 20 years ago, it was, in fact, it was ironically, <clears throat> it was in the fall of 2000 when we were at when we were facing a presidential election between Al Gore and uh, George Bush that I went to my company, we had a big meeting down in Tampa and I went and, and told them that I was making this change. And so that was in uh, the fall of 2000. And so that's 20 years ago that uh, I made that decision. And basically what I did was I retired. Uh, they let me stay on kind of as a consulting role as I, the ministry got started and I stayed on for two years. And then God just really, the business or the, uh, the, the ministry just grew and um, it really was bearing fruit. And I have a really good board of directors and they said, you don't need to do any more consulting. You need to do the ministry full, full time. And so um, I did that. That was in the fall of 2002. And so I've been doing this full time for 18 years now um, working. It's called the center for executive leadership. And, um, I've been at it really for, I guess you could say 20 years now. And so some of the fruit of that, I'd love to unpack what the center does. I mentioned uh, I've been a direct uh, recipient through some of the consulting you provide there for busy entrepreneurs such as myself who get overwhelmed and need someone to talk to. And I've been very open on this show about my battle with anxiety and depression. And, you know, meeting with Jay there at your center was crucial for me. So thank you for that. Uh, But help us understand a little bit about what you guys do. And I think I counted, is it? eight books now that you've written? 
Well, there's 11. Okay. Uh, but, but two of them are very, what I call, they're short booklets. Uh, they're like 60 or 70 pages. One that just came out uh, on uh, the pandemic, on the pandemic, it's called Walking by Faith in a Pandemic, uh, Experiencing God's Peace. And then I've written another one called The Reason for Life. You know, why did God put me here? And they're both, you can read those probably an hour, an hour and a half. The other books are more lengthy. And uh, so I guess you could say I've got nine real books and two more short booklets. Um, but like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm almost 67, so I have plenty of time to write. And so much of my writing, uh, Forrest, really comes from my, my, my teaching and my speaking Um I don't think I don't know that I'm a great writer, but I, I can I can communicate truth um, and I can take it and then I, we can edit it and we can transform it into a book. But anyway, well, to answer, your, answer your question. Uh, yeah, it, it, it started just me. It was just me. And we had an office in a conference room over an office park. <clears throat> um, and um, and then a guy named Todd Liscom came along and said, I'm feeling called to leave the bank and go to men's ministry and I wasn't looking to expand it and yet it just kind of happened um, and over the years God has kind of incrementally uh, grown the ministry so that we now have uh, either 14 or 15 people that well, we have 15 people that work here uh, one works in Memphis we just uh, opened up I guess you could say a, a ministry there in the Memphis area with a really fine guy over there and we're talking to two other men in another city who want to do the same thing so uh, but I'm not out trying to grow it. It's just kind of, it's just God's kind of, I think, uh, uh, just kind of causing it to happen. And uh, I don't have a five-year or 10-year plan. Uh, I just kind of take it one year at a time. But it started off just me. Uh, we have these big events. We hadn't been able to really do it with COVID uh, at one of the local country clubs that we can draw men uh, to a breakfast. And you know, we've been averaging four or 500 men recently to these breakfasts, and it's an outreach. But we also give men who come to these breakfasts an opportunity to get involved in a men's group, uh, go through what we call an investigative study if you don't really understand Christianity. Um, so our, our desire is to take men who are Christians to see them, uh, uh, see men either come to Christ or men who are already Christians and then seek to disciple them, uh, lead them what I would call to uh, spiritual maturity, and then with the hope of seeing them then going out and impacting others. Uh, but in the process, what's ended up happening is we've ended up bringing in men uh, who feel called to maybe uh, uh, work with us, but who don't necessarily do teaching and discipling. Jay Lloyd is a good example of that. Uh, Jay, uh, in fact, is, 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 he worked for us part-time. Now he's getting ready about at the end of the year, he will be working full-time at the center. And he's a counselor. He counsels men uh, who struggle with, it could be addiction, uh, depression, pretty much anything. And we also have another man that also is a counselor, and he, he does premarital and marital counseling. And I feel like we got two of the best counselors in Birmingham on our staff here. We also have a, a prison ministry uh, that's just, God is really, really blessed. Unfortunately, we can't go into the prisons uh, because of the virus. Um, mm -hmm. And then just recently, we had a, another man, guy named Brian Pitts, come work with us. He worked at Sanford for 16 years, but God called him to do, basically to start a ministry coaching 
men on how to father their sons. And it's a wonderful program. Um, but I guess what I'm, I'm really trying to say is, um, you know, if you share, if you feel called to men's ministry, if you share our, um, our theology, and if you fit in and there's good chemistry, um, you know, we, you know, we welcome you and, and we kind of operate, I guess you could say under an umbrella, uh, not everybody doing the same thing, but everybody feeling called by God to do it. So have a lot of these 15 team members, did they start uh, maybe in one of your Bible studies and it kind of just grow organically from there? Um, you know, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm thinking, no, not really. Uh, these okay. are guys, they just knew about us and they were, they felt called to this. We've got one young guy that moved from, he was living in California and he moved uh, to really focus on working with millennials. And, uh, I knew his dad, I've known his father and mother all, almost all my life. And so it's kind of interesting just the way we've connected with each other. Well, I've had the opportunity to read several of your books and I am about three fourths of the way through your newest one, reflections on the existence of God, which is a series of essays and ranging from everything from, you know, the atheistic worldview to evolution. Um, very, very interesting book. But my takeaway, Richard, reading through this, it has just strengthened my Christian worldview and it has empowered me to so many different topics to think I don't have to shrink back and think I'm the one with some type of lack of evidence that I just have this blind faith. The evidence of the existence of God is just, it's profound. And so, um, one of the things that really hit me hard, and I, I was talking to my daughter, who's a senior in high school, about this, is the lack of the fossil record, the intermediary fossil record that would technically prove evolution uh, has never been found. And so talk a little bit about that book and maybe what your goal was in, in writing it. Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. Um, yeah, I think this is the most important book that I have written. Now, some would argue with you that the book True Measure of Man has been more impactful. But uh, as you said, this really has just come out. It's been out oh, maybe eight months. Um, we've really got a slow start because of uh, uh, COVID and several other factors. But uh, it's just booming right now. We're, we're really excited. But what I wanted to do... Um, and, and by the way, I've been researching this book <clears throat> probably for 25 or 30 years, <clears throat> just kind of putting uh, books aside, uh, uh, essays, articles <clears throat> that I kept in, in you know, a, a large number of files. And then I, I just felt like <clears throat> the time had come for me to write it. So I really I took all of last summer off, uh, not this past summer, the summer before, <clears throat> and, and really worked on it. And the reason I did is because I think atheism is clearly on the rise. Um, I saw a, uh, an, an, a this is on national TV, an ad. It was during one of the Democratic presidential debates. So that had probably been last fall. And um, there was an ad promoting atheism, believe it or not. And the spokesperson on the ad was Ronald Reagan's son, Ron. Mm. And the, the last thing he said on the commercial was, I'm a lifelong atheist, <clears throat> and I'm not afraid of burning in hell. And that really wow. stunned, it really stunned me that you had an, an, an advertising on national TV promoting atheism. But really, 
far as the object of, of the book was to write an easy to read, well-researched book. And you could, and basically it's 57 short essays and you can read each essay in about <clears throat> anywhere from seven to, to 10 minutes. And it's, then it's divided into, into 10 sections, like one section's on uh, the presence of evil and one is on the moral argument for the existence of God. Another one's on purpose and meaning. And then I get there's two sections on science, one of them being on evolution, as you pointed out. And um, the thing that has thrilled me is the number of people who said what you just said, <clears throat> that this book has really strengthened my faith. It's really bolstered, bolstered what I already believe. And that really, I didn't think about that when I wrote it. <clears throat> and yet, um, I've heard that over and over again. In fact, if you, when it gets right down to it, <clears throat> the two groups that I targeted, one was one, clearly, those who are skeptics, those who are see seeking spiritual truth. And then another one was for younger people, my kids, um, who are, you know, at the time that I wrote it was like 19 20 and 22. And, uh, you know, I just felt like that our younger people uh, need to really be equipped to deal with the skeptical world that we live in. Uh, in fact, Pew Research came out with, uh, they did a study and they, they, they um, interviewed people who had grown up in the church. But once they get into college or once they get out into the world, working world, they, they, they lose their faith. <clears throat> and they ask the question, what happened? How did this happen in your life? And it's amazing the number of them that said, <clears throat> these young people said, I had doubts growing up. And um, nobody really ever answered my doubts. They just said, have faith. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that really had an impact on me because I felt like the, the evidence for God is so compelling and the evidence for atheism is so weak, and yet nobody has a resource to help the young people. So I really did want something that a, a high school student, college student, really anybody could read. But if they could use it, I, I saw it as a tool to use that to, to enable them to be able to go out and um, and and talk and uh, have. Uh, uh, be able, I guess you could say, to engage this skeptical culture and be able to do it intelligently uh, and uh, do it in such a way that you can really make a strong, persuasive argument. Well, I think you really hit the mark. It uh, It's easy to read. I appreciated the brevity and the conciseness of each essay. And it was a couple things that just amazed me was the number of atheists who renounced their yeah. worldview uh, closer to their deathbed as they really started to wrestle with what does basing my life on meaninglessness really mean at the end? Um, and then also the chapter on the historical precedent for monogamous marriage was powerful. I yeah. uh, really enjoyed that one. Okay, but we're going to move on. We can talk about the book the rest of the time. But what I really want to talk about is as the leader for the center to be able to write your books and speak and podcast and do all the things you do. It's not just Richard Simmons who shows up at work every day. There's other dimensions to your leadership. So let's talk about body. And I'm, I welcome you to talk about 
what you do, but also what you've seen in the men uh, that have really excelled uh, under your uh, leadership. Um, but what do you see as rhythms and body to make sure you're taking care of the temple so that you can show up and lead at work? I will say this. Um, taking care of my body is a real priority in my life. Um, my wife will tell you that. Um, and I, uh, I pretty much uh, exercise every day. Um, like this morning, uh, I woke up, uh, I like to walk hills. Uh, I find running is, I, I'm at a, the, the stage of my life where running is probably not something that I want to do. Um, I like to be outside. Um, and so I like to walk the hills. Like this morning, I, I got out right, right at, uh, well, I, I, did, I ended up reading the Bible first. But I did my scripture work first, and then I went out and walked. And um, uh, I, one of the habits I've, I guess, is now ingrained in my life is uh, I love to walk and pray. And I do. That's what I do every morning. Uh, I do it early, um, and it's just become uh, a part of my life. I guess you can say. Uh, I also uh, work out with weights. I do push-ups. I do a lot of push-ups every other day. I do a lot of uh, um, uh, crunches, and I try to uh, I try to keep my body. By the way, I, I have uh, you know an annual physical, which I think is important. Every man should do, uh, and I get my blood checked every two every six months, twice a year, um, and that's been very very helpful. Um, and uh, uh, like I said, it's it's uh, and I. I you know, I don't lift weights every day. Uh, I do a lot of, like I said, I do, I do push-ups every other day. But uh, I have a routine, and I refine my routine, you know, almost on an annual basis. I'll, uh, I'll look at what I'm doing, and often I, I'm a big believer in, in that making real small changes that become habits in your life. In fact, I've written about that in a book that I wrote called A Life of Excellence. Uh, we have this, this propensity to try to make big radical changes, usually around January 1st. And it's amazing how they're usually, how we fail miserably um, within a month or two. And so I've, I've come to a conclusion, make small changes in, in your, in your uh, whether it's your workout, your spiritual life, uh, maybe a small change as far as something that my wife and I might do. And that's been really life-changing for me, is to continue to refine what you're doing by making small changes every year. Um, so, I, you know, <clears throat> I will say that I have the best body in the world, but I, I feel like I've, I've taken good care of it. And so what do you see as the connection between that rhythm and doing that and your ability to lead others and create content and all the things that you're doing at the center? Well, the most important thing it does, um, it, it, it gives me a lot of, it really gives me a lot of energy. I, I'm very energetic. Um, and I, I think that's very important. Uh, you know, I've, I try to set a role, be a role model for my kids. Uh, I've also tried to be a role model as far as, you know, what I do in my body, even with the guys around here, we've talked, we talk about that. We all acknowledge that that needs to be an important part of our lives is taking care of the temple of God that we have been uh, endowed with. And so um, it's, it's, like I said, it's just a, it's a, it's a pretty, it's pretty cool. It's not a chore for me to do. It's, it's something that I find comes very natural. 
I, I love doing it. It makes me feel good. It gives me energy. And I think it makes a huge difference in, uh, in the work that I do here. Well, I agree. And I'm a big fan of the compound factor as well as, you know, people want to swing for the fences, but it's all about daily singles, getting up, going for that walk, getting up, doing your push-ups, and then just doing it and showing up consistently. Um, so let's talk about balance. You're, you know, you mentioned getting married at 41. So my math shows me you've been married what, 26 years to Holly. Well, we just celebrated 25 years in June. Okay. But you're close. 25 and three kids. So uh, talk about that. I mean, so many men burn out at work and don't have anything to, to give when they get get home. But those relationships, when they're solid, can really be the fuel for creating at work. So talk to me about your balance to me. Yeah, I, I would say that my time with my wife and my time with my children uh other than my time spending with God is the, is the top priority in my life. Um, I'm very intentional about spending time with my wife. Um, we, uh, uh, growing up, uh, as I was thinking about this earlier, um, our time with our children uh, was a, a real priority. Um, uh, the hardest thing to do, but I think very important um, I guess activity is to try to, as my children were growing up, was try to have dinner together every night. As my as my kids got into sports, it came more, became more difficult. When I was a child, usually you participate in sports right after school. Well, now you do it usually in the evenings. And so the, the way to deal with that, I, I, co- I, I ended up coaching my, my sons. Um, and so I, I ended up coaching my kids. That was a great way for me to spend time with them. I was a football coach for my oldest son in youth sports and then coached basketball uh, for my younger son. Um, we also, we would, we made a real priority to take vacations together, just the five of us, uh, didn't bring friends. We just wanted to be together. And uh, we have certain traditions that we've established as, uh, for instance, we have a tradition on the 23rd of December Every year we go to a really nice place to eat, and it's you know it's our Christmas tradition, and it really pleased me. We go to a nice place; it's fairly expensive. Uh, uh, my oldest son, who's getting ready to start, he just finished his master's degree in accounting at Auburn. Is getting ready to start uh, work uh, this week, October first, with uh, Price Waterhouse PwC, and he says, "Dad, I want to I want to pay for our dinner on the twenty third. And he's already made a, a, a dinner reservation at uh, Fleming's. And I guess the point I, I want to really make here for us is that um, we love being together as a family. Um, we, I, I'm, I'm starting to see how my relationships with my children are, are, are kind of tra- being transformed where I'm still an authority figure in their life, but less and less. And now we're, we're, there's a friendship and it's still a kind of a coaching uh, that I still play that my, my sons will call me all the time. And uh, I always tell them, unless I can't, I, I, you're a priority. When you call, I'm going to answer the phone unless I'm speaking to 300 people somewhere. Um, I just want you to know how much of a priority you are in my life. And uh, so my children, they call us a lot. Uh, they, they consult with us a lot. Um, but I think most significantly, we just really enjoy one another. And it started back when they were kids. And uh, I, my wife and I have concluded probably the most significant, one of the most significant things that we would do as a family. We would, uh, 
we'd go to church together, we'd come home, and we'd have lunch together. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, you, you didn't miss this. You're, you, you, were, you were there. And we would eat lunch. Um, then I would uh, share uh, a teaching and something that, that they could really apply to their lives, even if they're just 10 years old at the time. And we also, uh, and it was kind of got to be, it, it got to be a fun, it, it got to be fun and uh, challenges. Uh, I had them memorize scripture. And my kids probably know 50 Bible verses today that they've learned. And some of them are rather difficult to learn. And they, they, they to this day, they still know them because I'll ask them from time to time. You remember this verse? And we also had them uh, memorize vocabulary words. Because as I, I shared with them, I says out in the world, you know, to really be effective, um, whether as a Christian or out in the workplace, you need to basically have, be able to articulate your thoughts and ideas. And so uh, that was the third thing we did. And uh, uh, I think that they have done a really good job as far as uh, uh, being able to read and speak, whatever, but because of that, uh, uh, that exercise, I guess. And then the final thing that we did that was just was meaningful, somebody had shared this with me, um, about three years before my oldest was going to start college, we, all, we, we sat down and figured out how long, how many weeks it would be before they left for college. And we took a, a jar, each one of them had a jar, and let's say my oldest had 150 weeks until he uh, uh, was going to start college. And we, we took 150 little pebbles and we put them in a jar. And we did one for my daughter and then we did one for my youngest son. And the way we would end our time every Sunday at lunch, everybody would take a, 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 a pebble out of their jar and we'd, we'd go into the backyard and they'd throw it out kind of into the woods. And then we would give each of them a hug and we'd just tell them how much we loved them. And it just kind of was a, a little tradition that we established but we would continually watch the, 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 the rocks in the jar, you know, they, it would diminish until we got right to the, to the week that my, my oldest was starting college and he had no more, mm. he had no more stones in his, in his jar. That's powerful. That hits home for me with a senior in high school and uh, we have date, not date lunch tomorrow. Just, man, it's crazy how quickly it's gone, but what a great visual of just how much as you as a dad, as a steward of that time of a reminder of the diminishing time you have left to impress these things like memorization on your kids. I love that. Um, What about you and Holly? Do y'all do anything on a weekly basis? Do y'all try to keep a date night? Is there uh, some? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. When uh, it's funny, uh, it's kind of, uh, how should I put this? It's it's uh, it's it's changed over the years. Um, when our children were younger, um, uh, every Sunday night, um, I would be in charge of, of dinner. I would feed the kids first, and then I would usually. I'm, I'm not a great cook, but I can cook on the grill. And Holly and I would have a we we would eat dinner every Sunday night. She didn't have to do it. She didn't have to lift a finger. I would cook for the children, clean up, and then I would cook for us. And we would sit at our dining room table, usually with candlelight dinner. And um, it just kind of, it was, it was a given. We were going to do that. And I think that that was incredibly meaningful to her. And it was also, I mean, she didn't have to do anything. She could rest and relax and she didn't have to worry about feeding the kids. And 
but it was just uh, we, we would we'd sit and talk sometimes for hours um and uh, i think she would tell you that that was that was a significant part of our marriage but uh, i tell you forrest I, i'm really blessed um i really my wife and i really love being together uh, we love spending time together we love talking together um i, I really delight in her and um and so we kind of it, we used to kind of make it, it was, uh, I guess you could say an intentional habit to make sure we had time to get, but now particularly we're empty nesters right now. Um, we have spent a lot of time with each other and we love it. We really do. Um, we always tried to, this was a big deal. We always, every year celebrated our anniversary and we would do it by, she and I would go somewhere, maybe to the beach. Uh, we went to the mountains, there was only one anniversary we were not able to do this because she was pregnant with uh, our second child, and so we we couldn't we couldn't leave uh, and go anywhere. But that's been a real priority is to make our anniversary mm-hmm. a really big deal, and that's the way you. And we would always talk about our wedding. We even um, uh, have a we have our wedding, um, you know, recorded. And every year on our anniversary, even though we hadn't done it the last couple of years because we've been out of town and we didn't have the means to do it, that we didn't have the machine to do it. We have a, a DVD, have it on DVD, um, but we'd watch our, our wedding and our reception. And uh, just to kind of remember, you know, how we fell in love, uh, you know, remember our marriage. You know, the Bible talks a lot about the importance of remembering, particularly remembering the Lord your God. And yet there's so much and there's so much scripture that says the problem is we forget, we forget, we forget. And so um, my wife went to graduate school out in Colorado, uh, got a, a master's degree in biblical counseling at Larry Crabb School. And that was something they emphasized was, you know, why do you, why do you uh, think about it? why do you celebrate birthdays? Because you're remembering the significance of a person's life the day they were born. Well, we need to be thinking about how to remember other important things. Um, and including um, our anniversaries. So that's really meant a lot to our marriage, uh, particularly in those years when we our kids were a real handful, to be able to take five to six days off and go somewhere and celebrate our anniversary was, was very, very meaningful. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, we just celebrated, well, just in March, our 20th, and uh, mm-hmm. had big plans, but COVID robbed those plans. <laughs> so we're going to have to do a, a delayed trip. I, for that I, I, ran the, I, I ran the same problem. Uh, fortunately, it's one of my friends came to the rescue and uh, provided us a, a place to go. And uh, um Anyway, so I, I get that. Well, congratulations on 20 years of marriage. Thank you. All right. Well, let's talk about the final domain, which we call being on this show, and that's your relationship with Christ. You've been talking about it really from the get-go, but how does that undergird? How is that the foundation of everything you have and do and how you show up uh, at work? I mean, even you know, to, to, to make a significant job change 20 years ago and to go into nonprofit, like just talk about your walk with Christ and, and what that looks like. <laughs> Okay, I, it's, 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 um, this is fresh on my mind because I'm teaching a group of 15 men. I call it a 25-week discipleship program, and, and um, I was just kind of reviewing it before um, uh, our meeting today. And, you know, I, I'm convinced um, that there are three spiritual disciplines uh, that God uses to transform us and to lead and guide us. Um 
the first obviously is listening to God's voice through the scripture and what that really means. It's one thing to read the Bible. It's another thing to seek to hear his voice and let him speak to you and let him counsel you. And he says, I'll instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I'll counsel you with my eye upon you. That's Psalm 32, 8. And, can, you know, he, God not only wants to teach us, but he wants to counsel us. And when you look up that word counsel, it means, you know, usually you have a need in your life and you go seek counsel. You seek advice. And he wants to give that. I love Isaiah 48, 17 in the NIV. It says uh, he, he wants to teach you what is best for you. And that's significant. That is really significant. And, uh, of course, the second discipline is, is having an effective prayer life uh, where you, have, you, you really learn how to have conversation with God. But the third is probably, I would say, is the most um, neglected that most people are really ignorant of, and that's how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, to really let the Holy Spirit strengthen you. Um, you read that so much about that in the scripture and it's we, we get a picture of that in John 15 where it's a picture of a vine and a branch and the sap flows from the vine into the branch and we bear fruit and so learning how to really walk in the power of the Holy Spirit I think is essential and so those three disciplines are kind of like I guess a tripod if you want to call it for me that really undergird my spiritual life and it has a huge impact I believe uh, on the work that God's called me to. Now, is that a revelation you've made recently, or is that something from you know being saved in college on that you've lived by? I, I had a man about 30 years ago teach me, particularly about walking in the power of the Spirit. And it's, it was, it's been life-changing for me. Um, it's called, you know, abiding in Christ, um, however you want to. And I write about it. I've written about it in this newest book that I've written uh, on walking by faith through a pandemic. And, uh, you know, truly, Forrest, when I think about my spiritual life, there have been so many people that have had an impact on me. And then my goal is to try to turn around and pass that along to others. And... Um, my whole approach to my spiritual life, really my ministry life is, and I, I just love it. It's in first Corinthians three, six and seven. It says, I planted Apollos watered, but God causes the growth. Mm -hmm. And that's the, I, I, I've emphasized that here at the center with the, with the guys that work here, guys, we need to realize our responsibility is to water and plant in men's lives. And we need to be as effective as we can be to do that. But ultimately we need to look to the one who causes the growth and recognize that, that we need to be praying and asking him to cause the men in our lives that we're mentoring and teaching that he would cause them to grow. And I've, cause I've said, if ever we get to the point, we think we're causing them to grow. We need to just shut our doors and go do something else mm -hmm. because it's not us. We just plant water. Okay. Well, let's take those three principles and unpack what that looks like for you on a daily basis. You've mentioned this morning, you were in the word early before you went walking right. and then in, as you're walking, you're praying. So what disciplines show up for you in order to nurture this relationship and to truly hear and be led by the spirit? Well, cl clearly, um, 
your first priority in life needs to be time with God. I mean, I think that's where so many guys, so many men fail, is that it's not a priority. Um, work is a priority, and they got so they get so much going on, they don't have time for God. But so you got to have the time set aside. <clears throat> if it means you have to get up at five o'clock in order to do it, then you should. Uh, it'll make a huge difference in your life. Um, so, but it starts, uh, you know, with the scripture, I, I usually read a new, I do a new Testament reading and I do an old Testament reading. And then I've got a host of verses, um, on different areas of life that I like to go back and I might spend, you know, 10 minutes after I've read my, my new Testament, my old Testament reading. And then I'll, I'll go and just, uh, I have hundreds of verses that God has used in my life and I'll go, um, I'll review them. And I tell you, this has been real helpful. Um, Forrest is it's is to pray over scripture, mm-hmm. convert prayers, excuse me, convert scripture into prayers. And uh, that's been very, very meaningful. Um, for instance, um, <clears throat> there's an area that people don't pray very much. And I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. This is part of my prayer life as well. But let me just share this and you'll see what I'm where I'm going with this. Um, <clears throat> one of the areas of prayer that I think are important is neglected is to pray for God's protection. I mean, think about the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, this is the model prayer. He gets to the very end. He says, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. How many people pray about that? Hmm. He's saying, this is something you should pray. And so I, 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 I one of my, part of my prayer life is to pray for protection for me, my wife, our marriage, our kids. And I pray that prayer from Matthew 6, 13. I pray that you would lead us not into temptation. You deliver us from evil. Then I pray from the Psalms where it says, and do not incline my heart to any evil thing. And then I pray 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. God is faithful. He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And so I pray that for us. And I believe he hears it. I believe he answers it Mm -hmm. because he told us to, first of all, he instructs us to do it. And I think that's also part of putting on the full armor of God. So anyway, I, I, I read the scripture. And after I've done that, then I'll go take my walk. Sometimes I'll do my walk first. Sometimes I'll read the Bible first. Since it's, 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 it's dark, it's so dark so early, I read the Bible first and go out and walk. Yeah. And then I walk, then I have a, a I, kind of, I, I hate to use the word routine, but <clears throat> the thing that's the one area of prayer that's had the biggest impact on my life and it's what I start with, and that is praying, or, or that is giving thanks to God. It's absolutely critical that we spend time each day giving thanks to Him. And I have just, and I, it never gets old, but thanksgiving is a key to being humble. Humble people are very grateful people. And I start off with this time with Scripture also. First Chronicles 29, 14, Lord, all things come from you. John 3, 27, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven above. And then over in James, it says, every good and perfect gift comes from heaven above. So I say, Lord, all that I am, all that I have comes from you. And I give you thanks. And I start off with, I'm grateful for my life. I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my wonderful wife and the marriage. And I have just a host of things I give thanks to. Then I pray for... Um, uh, then I pray for protection. Uh, then I pray for my children, our family. Uh, I pray for their spiritual lives. Um, and then I go through and I, I, I pray 
for issues in my life where there where I'm experiencing weakness, and I use scripture there too. I pray Hebrews 13, 5, let your way of life be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. And I feel like God has answered that prayer. I, I feel like there's a contentment in my life that I didn't have years ago. And then I, the last thing I do is kind of interesting. I have a, uh, I have a, a mission statement, and it's four parts to it, and I'll just share it real briefly. And uh, I, I kind of go into detail, but it just kind of keep, it's kind of like a compass for me. And the four parts of the, of, the, of the mission statement are, Lord, I want to be your servant. I want to serve you with my life. I pray that you would, as, as your servant, you're my master, you're my king, you give me my assignments. The servant doesn't tell the master what he's going to do. Then I pray, I said, Lord, I want to be a seeker of you. I want to seek to hear your voice. And I always pray that, by the way, before I start my scripture reading. Lord, I'm here. There's a great verse. It's uh, 1 Kings 3.9. It says, um, Samuel says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. It's a great prayer to pray before you go to the Bible. Um, and then uh, the third thing is, is, Lord, I want to be a humble man. And I kind of walk through the steps of what is necessary to really humble yourself each day. And then finally, I, I end with, Lord, I want to be a laborer in your harvest. I want to bear fruit for God. I want to make you known out in the world and you're saving truth. And that just kind of is keeps me anchored. And that's kind of the way I end my prayer time. As you can tell, I get kind of animated about this. No, I love the passion. I was just sitting here thinking, I'm glad I added, asked that follow-up question because this is rich. I love the Thanksgiving, humble, grateful, um, how that just prepares your heart to be a grateful person because it's so easy to get caught up in what we don't have and not be grateful for the things we do have. And Absolutely. And how, Absolutely. I mean, everything you just described from your time in the Word to your prayer life um, is bathed in, in Scripture, and it's the foundation. So thank you for sharing that. That's amazing. Yeah. Sure, sure. Well, Richard, thank you for being on. It's been a great uh, conversation. There's so much to learn and draw from your experience. I know your work here in Birmingham and throughout uh, the Southeast has been uh, profound, and uh, I have benefited from it both with your books and with your center. And so just want to personally say thank you. And then if anybody wanted to follow you or check out one of these 11 books or anything that you've written or recorded, where's the best place for them to engage with you online? Well, if, as far as books go, um, you, can, you can buy any of my books on Amazon, um, but you can also go to our website. Um, in fact, the, 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 there's a, it's, it's, a, it's my personal website, and you go there and you can get the book. It's, and it's Richard, all lowercase, Richard E. Simmons, S-I-M-M-O-N-S, and then there's the number three, dot com. And you can, and when you do that, you can get pretty much anything you want from my blogs, the podcasts that I've done, the books, and this information on the Center for Executive Leadership. So that's an easy way to do it. And the Center has a, we have a, a website as well, and it's the centerbham.org. Okay, folks, check it out. He's got plenty to offer. Um, if you enjoyed this conversation and the depth and wisdom he brings to the table, certainly check out his books and resources. Richard, thank you again for being on. It's been a pleasure. 
Feedback from TribeCast over the last two seasons has been phenomenal, and one of the most common questions is centered around my willingness or ability to deliver coaching to others. And as I've continued my personal journey on the having it all lifestyle across body, being balanced, and business, I've been inspired to create a program that I couldn't find in the marketplace. It's called EX3, and it's for accomplished, kingdom-minded entrepreneurs that know they need a band of brothers to play this game with at the highest level. If that's you and you want to know more about what I'm up to, then head on over to ex3impact.com now.